This is Top Floor, episode 108. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 108. Welcome to Top Floor with Susan Berry. This weekly podcast ride up to the top floor features tangible tips and excellent stories from the experts and characters who elevate hospitality. And now your host and elevator operator, Susan Berry. Welcome to the show. Anita Francois was born in London, but spent her childhood as an international jet setter of sorts, visiting family in Miami. After a foray into television production, Anita found her true passion in studying the Afro-diaspora around the world as an archaeologist. She turned her interest into projects with various cultural institutions, curating exhibits and events. When Anita stumbled upon Instagram's huge and engaged Black travel movement, she was already working to fund her travel habit. Eager to try her hand at a travel business, Black Travel Summit was born. Today, we are going to talk about how you go from making TV shows to partnering with brands like Hyatt and Royal Caribbean. But before we do, we need to answer the call button. The emergency call button is our hotline for hospitality professionals who have burning questions. If you would like to submit a question, you can call or text me at 850-404-9630. Today's question was submitted by Scott. Here's what Scott has to say. I have an idea for an event that I know will be a success, but I don't have a big email list or a big audience yet. How can I grow that or otherwise get the word out about my event? Anita, what do you think? So when it comes to preparing an event, it is no easy task. I believe that the creativity is um, probably something that comes to many people who want to start an event and comes very easily. Um, but there's also many other factors that you would need to take into consideration that you may not have considered before, such as marketing, such as communication, such as how do I want my brand to look, feel and sound? And these are a lot of the things that you need to uh, think about when it comes to creating an event as well as growing your audience. And of course, growing your audience is definitely super, super important to be able to have people to show your event. And um, one way that we've done this in the past is we had started out with free virtual events and uh, promoted that on Eventbrite. And that's how we grew our subscriber list to be able to engage with a population that's clearly interested in the messaging that we're sharing. From growing our subscriber list, we've grown to thousands of individuals who are now part of our membership and and uh, audience and now attend our events. So sometimes it's great to start small and ideally free, and uh, that way you can grow your audience base. I love that idea. That's so smart. Every time I see someone doing like a live on Instagram or a live on Facebook, my stomach starts to hurt because I'm like, oh, I hope <laughs> people show up. Please let them show up. So I love that that's a part of the marketing plan for a larger event to have something for free. 
You traveled a lot as a little girl. What are some of your earliest memories of flying across the Atlantic? So my earliest memory of flying across the Atlantic was fear, was just terror. What is happening? Where am I going? Why has my mother oh, abandoned no. me? <laughs> um, and not really knowing what's on the other side, just being told that I have a family member that I'm going to be meeting for the first time and I'm expected to stay with this individual for two months. Um, so I remember being frightened and recall that there were a few other children. Of course, at this time, I was seven years old. So um, we had to be, I guess, monitored by the flight attendant. And uh, and I was part of a group a group of youth. I had no clue who these people were, um, or where I was going. But once I arrived and I met my aunt at the airport, it's almost like I instantly knew that I was with family and and that I was safe. And my fears started to lessen and lessen. So it wasn't <laughs> a fear of flying. It was a fear of the unknown. It was a fear of the unknown. Of course, flying was new to me because that was the first time I had been on a plane, but it wasn't frightening. It's almost like I felt like I was fine. I was safe. I was where I was meant to be. You told me that you used your love of documentaries about ancient Egypt with the desire to actually make documentaries, which led to the <laughs> degree in TV production. How did you figure it out and what happened next? So that's the easy part. It was about halfway through my bachelor's that I realized that I wasn't really enjoying my <laughs> studies. Um, it took me that long. Yes, it did. Um, but I'm used to engaging in activities and not really enjoying it, um, but then having to see it through. So not to say that many people do enjoy their studies, but if you're going into further education, ideally, I would hope it's something that you're interested in, right? Um, I did, however, notice my heart racing whenever I watched a documentary on ancient Egypt or any other history-based documentary. And um, of course, I went on to complete my bachelor's because I couldn't stand the idea of not completing something that I had started. And then I took a gap year. And during that gap year is when I decided that this is what I want to do. Um, after receiving my green card, and this was perfect timing, I moved to the States, I worked, I saved up, and then I returned back to the UK to study my master's in archaeology. So that's a perfect segue. And this isn't maybe exactly on topic for us today, <laughs> but I can't resist because I'm very fascinated. Can you tell me about an archaeological dig or two that you've been on? Maybe something that you found? Sure. So as part of my course, of course, um, I had participated in a dig in East Dean, West Sussex, uh, which is about two hours a drive south of London. And we were excavating a burnt mound from the late prehistoric Romano-British period, uh, which is a roughly around 1200 BC. Um, a burnt mound, for those who don't know, usually consists of shattered stones. And there's a few theories of what causes them, uh, such as heating and discarding of some stone tools um, that the mounds were used as saunas and then also as places where animals were hunted and killed. Um, 
my most memorable part of the dig was how I thought I was going to <laughs> die of pneumonia. What? From being, yes, from being ill-prepared and not bringing proper camping equipment. This was the first time I went camping. I always said, no, I'm not, you know, this mm-hmm. is not for me, right? I like hot showers. Um, I, sat, I survived, of course. Uh, one of my teammates ended up borrowing me their spare tent and supplies. Um, but something that was really interested that I found was, of course, um, a shirt. So this is... This is a part of a stone tool that has, you can tell, has been knocked off in the in the process of creation. So it was it was almost like rubbish, right? Part of the midden, um, which is really really. Oh cool. wow, that sounds so fun! But what does not sound fun is sleeping without a tent. So I'm very <laughs> glad that that worked out for you. Yeah, thank you. Once you had the masters in archaeology, you began curating events and exhibitions about the origins and histories of Afro-Indigenous and expat communities all over the globe, like the Mani of Thailand. How did that lead to founding the Black Travel Summit? So, you know, that quick story. So for those who don't know who the Manik are, uh, they are related to the Aborigines of Australia, the Acts of the Philippines, um, and other nomadic groups in the area, especially in the Southeast Asian region. Uh, these are people that are living proof of the antiquity of Black travelers, um, but they are hardly known about. And my passion for showcasing the existence of these groups ultimately spilled over into my passion for traveling that I'd gained over the years. And I noticed that same pattern within the Black travel movement it sounded to me like a community shouting, we're here and nobody can hear us or see us. Um, and for those who do see us in other parts of the world, it's many times not a great experience. Um, so that's what, what led me to the Black Travel Summit, just kind of trying to pre- create and provide a stage for those people to speak and to have a voice. I love it. The event takes place at the Hyatt-centric Brickle, Miami, October 20th through 22nd. Who should attend the summit? So if you're a brand uh, that cares about engaging Black travelers, then you need to show up. We're not exclusive and in fact, encourage people of all backgrounds to attend with the sole purpose of supporting, empowering and creating opportunities with and for Black travel community. Um, From the Black travel community, we invite creators, travelers, travel advisors, corporate employees, and all of those wanting to build their skills or connect with brands. We're ultimately a bridge between the two worlds. Got it. So what do you hope that Black travel creators, influencers, content people take away from the summit? Hopefully, lots of brand partnerships. (laughs) Yes, exactly that. Ideally, lots of brand partnerships, connections, um, ideas, uh, tips and insights into how they should be scaling themselves. Um, and then also skills as well. That, that's what we ideally hope that anyone would take away from the summit. What kind of skills? So skills such as, for example, if you are many of our audience members are aspiring entrepreneurs and aspiring influencers, those who want to become an influencer, they can learn how to become an influencer. 
those who want to become a travel advisor, they can learn how to and connect with travel advisors in the room. Pretty much anything in the realm of travel that you're interested in doing, you can either learn at the summit or connect with people who can connect you with people. Excellent. This sounds like a good time to take a break and learn about Cogwheel Analytics. Cogwheel Analytics is a business intelligence tool for hotel digital marketing. Since the dawn of time, hotels have only been able to compare their digital marketing data against their own historical performance. With Cogwheel Analytics, hotel companies can compare information across their portfolios in order to benchmark results. Because Cogwheel Analytics has mapped out data points for all the major brands from more than 20 different sources, hotels can stop creating manual reports and see everything from channel mix to social media to Cody, Expedia, and Google data all in one place. The time this saves gives marketers the chance to spend their time on things that actually matter, like strategy and action planning rather than creating spreadsheets. That sounds like a win to me. To learn more or schedule a demo, visit cogwheelanalytics.com. That's cogwheelanalytics.com. Okay, let's get back to the show. We like to make sure that our listeners come away from each and every episode of Top Floor with some practical and specific tips to try either in their businesses or in their lives, their personal travel. What are a few of the first steps someone should take if they are interested in starting a large in-person event like this? I guess we talked about uh, the free event process, which is a great first step. So... If someone is interested in starting a large in-person event, that community building from the very beginning is important to do, especially if you don't already have a footing in the industry that you're in or are very familiar or connected in the industry, right? Um, Because you need to be able to prove that you yourself are, um, are a thought leader, right, within this community. Um, and if you already are, that's amazing. That's even better because you've already built a community. Um, if you have already built a community, then starting a large in-person event can be a little bit easier, of course. I always recommend a team. I know sometimes it's hard to have that from the beginning, especially if you're bootstrapping. Um, but just really try to kind of gather some like-minded individuals, maybe even if they're just friends that are really passionate about whatever topic that you're um, that you're tackling or are just really supportive of, of you and the, and the <laughs> friendship, right? Um, so starting a large in-person event is, is a task. It is a task, but you need to make sure that whatever it is you're trying to do, especially if it's down the, because I can speak to conferences, right? You need to get your speakers. You ideally need to have sponsors. You would need to have partnerships because those partnerships are extremely important for community building. And then also for engaging in cross collaboration, because then you can tap into other people's or other organizations, audiences as well. Um, you need to secure a venue, right? You, these are all things that I think a lot of people 
don't think about, at least I didn't when I first started out a few years ago. Um, I mean, you know, the kind of basics, but you learn a lot along the way as well. And then you want your event to look nice. You want it to be nice. You want it to be appealing. And then you want people to take something away from it. You ended up with a degree that you didn't want. And you've also pivoted a little bit away from the degree that you did want with the Black Travel Summit. What advice, how would you advise someone who is maybe feeling like they're drawn to a new field or a new project that doesn't precisely align with their schooling or their experience? I would say to go for it because a lot of the times I think we feel like, oh, you know, well, I ended up here, although I took, you know, a course in this or I mastered a degree in this and it's completely unrelated. I feel it's all part of the journey because if I hadn't taken my master's in archaeology or maybe even if I hadn't um, achieved my bachelor's in TV production, these are skills that I find myself using today, still today. There's always something that you can take away. And if it's not a skill per se that you can take away, it's an experience. It's the network that you've built from just engaging in that particular industry or studying that that particular course. I would say that do not feel deterred. Do not feel like, oh my gosh, I wasted my time and my money, right? You are where you need to be and you were there because you needed to be there. I think that's such good advice. It's always funny to me when I have to tell people that I have an English degree and have spent the last many, many years in the hotel business because those two things do not sound like they go together. But boy, (laughs) do they. They absolutely do. Knowing how to write and how to read with comprehension are huge business skills that... I don't know, get taught in hospitality degree programs. It's very, very true. And I think that if we're going to especially pursue something that we're passionate about, you have to find those connections. And and most of the time you will. And it's it's usually a good thing because that means that you're more well-versed in a variety of things, right? 100%. So Anita, we have reached the fortune telling portion of the show. So you are going to predict the future and then we'll come back and see if you were right. <laughs> what is a prediction you have about the future of Black travel influencers and content creators? This is a good one and it's near and dear to my heart. Um, so usually from the conversations that I do have with the influencers and creators within our network, it's that they feel undervalued. They feel unseen. They feel unheard. They feel um, unfairly treated. And this is not everyone, right? These are just some of the, the creators that I've had conversations with. The future that I see for these individuals is, of course, being valued. And being valued means that their work is seen and appreciated and they're seen for the artists that they are. But it also means that they are fairly compensated. Um, a lot of the influencers and creators that I've had conversations with often tell me that most brands approach them with free products or free promotion or something free rather than this is how much we're willing to pay you. 
Um, and we also know from the creators that we've spoken with that they have counterparts who are not black or people of color, people of color, right? Who were approached for similar gigs from the same brands and offered a higher amount. So these are true stories. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's still something we're dealing with today. Um, wow. but, but this is the future that I see for these individuals, just being valued, being seen, being heard and being treated equally. I think you need to start an agency to go <laughs> along with the summit. <laughs> if you could wave a magic wand and create another in-person event, maybe a companion to this or something completely different, what would it be? So I think it would be somewhat along the lines of what you just mentioned. Um, a companion event that that puts or highlights creators and influencers, particularly the creators. Uh, one segment of our summit is the Black Travel Awards Gala, uh, which takes place on October 21st in the evening and has taken place in the past. But this is really an opportunity to be able to be seen and acknowledged for people within the Black Travel community. And then also to see individuals who are like innovators and and achievers within the industry as well. These individuals are creators, they're journalists, they're travel advisors, they're corporate employees that are making waves in the community um, and, and all of the above. And that is, I think, super important because from a community that's not be, not used to being seen and heard, it's important to create events where they're seen and heard. So I would say maybe not necessarily another in-person event that's entirely unrelated, but to expand on the Black Travel Awards Gala. Excellent. What about you personally or even your other work? What's next for you and what's next for your career? So continuing Black Travel Summit. Continuing Black Travel Summit is important. It's near and dear to my heart just because of the lives that it affects, of course. Um, we see ourselves continuing to grow. We see ourselves ideally going internationally, uh, international sometime soon, and um, being able to engage with the broader Afro diaspora uh, communities and communities across the globe. And for myself, I, yeah. I mean, I see the same. Black Travel Summit is, is close to me. It's close to my heart. And um, I, I can't really see myself doing anything other than that, apart from traveling, of course. Okay, folks, before we tell Anita goodbye, we are going to head down to the loading dock where all of the best stories get told. Going down. Anita, what is a story you would only tell me on the loading dock? So I had traveled to Cuba with a friend of mine. It's somewhere that I'd always been wanting to travel to just because of the allure that it, it gives me, right? Um, it's such a beautiful place. Um, you can see that there are such beautiful people and a culture, such a vibrant culture as well. So me and my friend who uh, is from the UK as well, she's British, um, Jamaican British, um, but living here in Miami, we decided that we're going to go to Cuba in the beginning of 2018, which was an amazing trip. You know, we noticed some, you know, there's always some hiccups when you're traveling, right? 
Um, towards the end of the trip, however, and in fact, on the same day that we were due to be flying out, I was going through my suitcase as I usually do to make sure I have everything with me. And I noticed my passport was there. At this time, I was still a green card holder. So I was still a resident in the United States. My passport was there. So my British passport, but my green card was not. And for those who are not familiar, if you don't have a green card, you can't get back into the country, right? You can get into the country, but you have to have an Esther. And if you don't, and you cannot have an Esther if you're also a green card holder. So it was really tricky um, for me in trying to brainstorm what to do. Realized that I had misplaced my bag and my green card was in my bag for some reason. And I remember my aunt in the hearing my aunt in the back of my head saying, you do not bring important documents with you in your purse, wherever you may go. Right. And I did because I had needed it for that day for something else. And I had hoped that everything would be fine. Didn't find my green card. And I'd also lost my, uh, my wallet as well. I'm having a full blown heart (laughs) attack right now. Just FYI. If I expire, it has been lovely meeting you. Please continue. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it was, it was, it was interesting. I still decided to go to the airport anyway, because I'm like, okay, maybe I'll be super lucky, right? Go to the airport. Obviously, they deny me boarding. I'm freaking out because I'm in Cuba, right? I know the relationship between Cuba and the United States at that moment in history as well, right? And um, was advised to come back the next day. Uh, in hopes that I may be able to catch another flight. He had put me onto the next flight going out the next day. Was able to go back to the Airbnb. They were super friendly, super understanding. They extended the trip. (laughs) And then we went back the next day to the airport. Now we had went obviously hours and hours ahead of time. This gentleman had said, the only thing I can do for you, and this is after exhausting so many different other options, right? I had to communicate with my boss at the time with my family to let them know what's going on. He recommended, you know, this doesn't ever work, but I can try to call United States customs for you. And I said, please do, please do anything. And he's like, I'm just letting you know, like, this is like this. I've tried calling them before and they've never said yes. He called an hour and a half later. He comes back to us and says, they've said yes you can come back into the country. In my 20 years working here, I have never had anyone say yes. And I just need to let you know that you probably have some angels or something watching over you. (laughs) My friend was praying. He said, man, those prayers worked. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. I just went through the full range of emotion with you. I felt like I was right there. And you never, I assume, got your purse and your wallet and all your stuff back. No, I didn't. But when I arrived back into the country, I told them what had happened. Of course, they asked me a million and one questions. Why was I in Cuba? Why do I have so many stamps in my passport? Everything that you can think of, right? And um, thankfully, they let me back in into the country past customs and yeah, I, within like a month or two, I had gotten a new green card. Obviously, I canceled all of my credit cards as soon as I got back into the country, but it was an experience, um, one I'll never forget. 
one I will never forget either. Anita Francois, <laughs> thank you so much for being here. I know that our listeners are very excited about the Black Travel Summit. And I really appreciate you riding with us to the top floor. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 108. Jonathan Albano is our editor, producer, and all-around genius. He even wrote and performed our theme song with vocals by Cameron Albano. You can subscribe to Top Floor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. And your rating or review will go a long way in helping us give you more of what you like. Thanks for listening to the Top Floor Podcast at www.topfloorpodcast.com. Have a hospitality marketing question? Reach us at 850-404-9630 to be featured in a future episode.